Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Janet Emanuel for the Office of Public Affairs at Yale. Today I'm speaking with David Berkovici, Professor and Chair of Geology and Geophysics at Yale. We'll be talking about convection in the Earth's atmosphere, in the oceans, and in the Earth's interior. Professor Berkovici, would you tell us what you mean by convection? How does convection arise? What forces drive it? Well, uh, convection is um, its actually something that you experience in everyday life in that, uh, I mean, most people understand it in terms of uh, hot stuff is, rises and cold stuff falls. And you see it all the time when you see uh, vapor or hot air coming off the hood of your car after the car has been heated up. Um, a really simple example is in a cup of coffee. If you pour cream in a cup of coffee and you don't stir it and let it sit there for a while, after a while you'll see stuff bobbing up and going back down again. And what drives it, of course, is again that the hot stuff is light and buoyant and gravity uh, basically makes the heavy stuff sink in behind it and the light stuff rises like a helium balloon, if you want to think of it that way. Great. Where does convection occur in natural geological and astrophysical settings and, and what does it do? Actually, convection occurs almost everywhere, for example, within our own planet, all the way from the Earth's core through the mantle, which is a very the big, thick layer of rock that makes up most of the planet, through the oceans, the atmospheres, and it occurs in a big part of the, uh, of the sun, in fact, of most stars. Um, in the core of the Earth, the outer core is made of molten iron, and it convects actually pretty quickly, not quite as fast as water, but quite quickly. And it's, since it's made out of metal, it's molten iron, uh, again, molten iron, the, um, it actually winds up generating electrical currents like a motor, like an electrical generator, or maybe like the alternator in your car. And it winds up generating a magnetic field, and that magnetic field actually winds up uh, emanating out into space and provides our magnetic field that we use for things like navigation, and it also protects us from some cosmic particles, uh, a lot of solar radio, well, solar particles that come in um, on the solar wind. It also occurs in the mantle of the Earth. The mantle is a solid rock. You know, it's about 1,800 miles thick, and it convects very, very slowly. It moves about as fast as your fingernails grow. And that motion of convection, the hot rock rising and the cold rock falling, drives what people think of as plate tectonics or continental drift and all the things that go with that, like uh, earthquakes and volcanoes and mountain building and deep sea trenches and, and whatnot. Um, it also occurs in the oceans. It's a little more complicated in the ocean since the ocean and, and the atmosphere through the winds interact with each other, but you get uh, a lot of cold water sinking in the North Atlantic, and that's one of the main things uh, helping drive the Gulf Stream. And what convection in the ocean does and the atmosphere is it spreads solar heat all over the place. If it wasn't for convection spreading heat around, the northern latitudes would be much colder. So the Gulf Stream, in fact, takes tropical warm waters and it moves it off to the North Atlantic and keeps New England and it keeps Euro uh, Europe warmer than it normally would be. Um, in the atmosphere, there are several effects. Uh, very large-scale convection sort of on that big planet scale drives. In the end, it drives prevailing winds like the trade winds um, and the westerlies, which are what we normally feel um, here uh, in, in North America. Um, and it also is, when you look at a hurricane, it is convection. Convection in, is just hot tropical air rising um, near the equator, and it winds up generating this big, giant heat engine. And in a way, convection is often referred to as a heat engine, and a hurricane is one of the classic examples. 
of that. And then in the sun, when you ever see pictures of the sun, you see it has that sort of grainy look to it, and that's called solar granulation. And those actually, those little grains uh, that you see in a picture of the sun are, um, those are convection cells. And in fact, they look a lot like the convection cells that you might see in a cup of coffee. If you look in your coffee, you'll see actually things that almost look like polygons and that look very much like these, uh, these grains in the sun. That's in the convection zone of the sun. It's being heated up by all this thermonuclear uh, heat generated by, you know, when hydrogen is, is fused into helium. And, um, and those grains, although they look tiny in these pictures, they're about the size of Alaska. Um, and so those are some very classic examples of where they occur in our, in our own solar system. Well, that's, that's a good perspective. Um, you've talked a little bit about how convection um, is related to weather. Uh, what's the relationship between climate, climate overall, and convection uh, in, the, in the oceans and in the atmosphere? Okay, well, that's a good question. As I said, um, convection is responsible for, for spreading heat around the globe. And as you start to, uh, if, for example, you have some increases in temperature due to global warming, um, it winds up interacting with convection in interesting ways that are not always that predictable. For example, it can possibly uh, weaken some of the prevailing winds, like the trade winds. Um, trade winds are driven by cold air falling at latitudes around 30 degrees north or south. Okay, and the cold winds sink and they kind of flow back to the equator. And they wind up transporting moisture and whatnot to the tropics. And if you warm, the, if you warm up the atmosphere, um, you can actually weaken the trade winds. The trade winds don't get cold right there. Uh, they may get weaker or they may not get colder till much higher latitudes. Okay, and so they have to travel further and they wind up being, a, they wind up, uh, that winds up affecting their ability to transport uh, moisture into these tropical environments. But with weaker trade winds, you can also do things like trigger El Ninos. And there is some research actually going on in our department that predicts that um, you could wind up triggering what's called a permanent El Nino. El Ninos typically last about a year or so. Um, but there is a possibility that with global warming, you could trigger ones that last decades. And in that case, you know, the damage that's in incurred in places like California and the and the, and the the fishing industry off of uh, in the Pacific off South America, those would be damaged for a decade instead of a year. Um, another example is what happens to the Gulf Stream, a rather classic example that was uh, shown in the movie Day After Tomorrow, but accelerated by a factor of about a thousand, um, which is that the Gulf Stream itself can also get weakened. If you melt ice, uh, you dump fresh water on top of what's normally cold, uh, heavy, salty water that's sinking in the North Atlantic, and that sh can shut off the Gulf Stream. And that way you wind up not transporting the warm water up to Europe and to, uh, say, New England. Um, and in that case, you wind up killing the Gulf Stream and cooling off Europe and New England. And even though you might be undergoing global warming, you might possibly wind up freezing those areas. So this is a, a very good example of why uh, the, the term climate change is more appropriate than global warming because, in fact, it can cause uh, some small you know, climate freezing or, or freezing events that occur, you know, in local areas on the globe. Great. Thank you for this perspective on convection and where it occurs and what it does. David Bercovici is Professor and Chair of Geology and Geophysics at Yale. This was recorded on December 10th, 2008.